Chapter Seven of *The Wooden Horse* by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven. And there were times when Harry felt curiously, impressively, the age of the house. It was not all of it old. It had been added to from time to time by successive Trojans, but there had, from the earliest days, been a stronghold on the hill overlooking the sea and keeping guard he had had a wonderful pride in it on his return but now he began to feel as though he had no right in it surely if any one had a right to such a heritage it was he but they had isolated him and told him that he had no place there the gardens the corners and battlements of the house the great cliff falling sheer to the sea had had no welcome for him and when he had claimed his succession they had refused him he was beginning to give the stocks and stones of the house a personal existence sometimes at night when the moon gave the place grey shadows and white lights or in the early morning when the first birds were crying in the trees and the sea was slowly taking colour from the rising sun in the perfect stillness and beauty of those hours the house had seemed to speak to him with a new voice he imagined fantastically at times that the white statues in the garden watched him with grave eyes wondering what place he would take in the chronicles of the house it was sunday afternoon and he was alone in the library that was a room that had always appealed to him with its dark red walls covered from floor to ceiling with books its wide stone fireplace its soft heavy carpets its wonderfully comfortable armchairs it seemed to him the very perfection of that spirit of orderly comfort and luxurious simplicity for which he had so earnestly longed in new zealand he sat in that room for hours alone thinking wondering puzzling devising new plans for robin's surrender and rejecting them as soon as they were formed he was sitting by the fire now hearing the coals click as they fell into the golden furnace that awaited them he was comparing the incidents of the morning with those of the preceding sunday and he knew that things were approaching a crisis claire had scarcely spoken to him for three days garrett and robin had not said a word beyond a casual good morning they were ignoring him continuing their daily life as though he did not exist at all he remembered that he had felt his welcome a fortnight before a little cold it seemed rapturous compared with the present state of things they had driven to church that morning in state no one had exchanged a word during the whole drive claire had sat quietly in solemn magnificence without moving an eyelid they had moved from the carriage to the church in majestic procession watched by an admiring cluster of townspeople he had liked claire's fine bearing and robin's carriage there was no doubt that they supported family traditions worthily but he felt that in the eyes of the world he scarcely counted at all it was a cold and over-decorated church with an air of wealth and lack of all warm emotions that was exactly characteristic of its congregation harry thought that he had never seen a gathering of more unresponsive people an excellent choir sang stainer in b flat with perfect precision and fitting respect and the hymns and psalms were murmured with proper decorum the clergyman who had come to tea on the day after harry's arrival preached a carefully calculated and excellently worded sermon 
although his text was the publican's lord be merciful to me a sinner it was evident that his address was tinged with the pharisees self-congratulations a little gathering was formed in the porch after the service and mrs letary magnificent in green silk and an enormous hat was the only person who took any interest in harry and she was looking over his head during the conversation in order apparently to fix the attention of some gentleman moving in the opposite direction at lunch harry had made a determined effort towards cheerfulness he had learnt that heartiness was bad manners and effusion a crime so he was quiet and restrained but his efforts failed miserably robin seemed worried and his thoughts were evidently far away claire was occupied with the impertinence of some stranger who had thrust himself into the trojan pew at the last moment and garrett was repeating complacently a story that he had heard at the club tending to prove the unsanitary condition of the lower classes in general and the inhabitants of the cove in particular after lunch they had left him alone he had not dared to petition robin for a walk so sick at heart and miserably lonely he had wandered disconsolately into the library he had taken from one of the shelves the volume t u of the dictionary of national biography and had amused himself by searching for the names of heroes in trojan annals there was only one who really mattered a certain humphrey trojan seventeen eighteen to seventeen seventy one a man apparently of poor circumstances and quite a distant cousin of the main branch one who had been in all probability despised by the sir henry trojan of that time nevertheless he had been a person of some account in history and had from the towers of the house watched the sea and the stars to some purpose he had been admitted harry imagined into the sacred precincts after his researches had made him a person of national importance and it was amusing to picture sir henry's pride transformed into a rather obsequious familiarity when my cousin humphrey had been honoured by an interview with his majesty and had received an order at the royal hand amusing yes but not greatly to the glory of sir henry harry liked to picture humphrey in his days of difficulty sturdy persevering confident in his own ability oblivious of the cuts dealt him by his cousin time would show he let the book fall and gazed at the fire thinking after all he was a poor creature he had none of that perseverance and belief in his own ultimate success and it was better perhaps to get right out of it to throw up the sponge to turn tail and again there floated before him that wonderful dream of liberty and the road of a relationship with the world at large and no constraint of family dignity and absurd grades of respectability off with the harness he had worn it for a fortnight and he could bear it no longer bethel was right he would follow the same path and find his soul by losing it in the eyes of the world but after all there was robin he had not given it a fair trial and it was only cowardice that had spoken to him the clock struck half-past three and he went upstairs to see his father the old man seldom left his bed now he grew weaker every day and the end could not be far away 
he had no longer any desire to live and awaited with serene confidence the instant of departure being firmly convinced that death was too good a gentleman to treat a trojan scurvily and that whatever the next world might contain he would at least be assured of the respect and deference that the present world had shown him his mind dwelt continually on his early days and even when there was no one present to listen he repeated anecdotes and remembrances for the benefit of the world at large his face seemed to have dwindled considerably but his eyes were always alive twinkling over the bedclothes like lights in a dark room his mouth never moved only his hand claw-like and yellow as parchment clutched the bedclothes and sometimes waved feebly in the air to emphasize his meaning he had grown strangely intolerant of claire and although he submitted to her offices as usual did so reluctantly and with no good grace she had served him faithfully and diligently for twenty years and this was her reward she said nothing but she laid it to harry's charge sir jeremy's eyes twinkled when he saw his son eh hey, harry my boy all of em out aren't they devilish good thing no one to worry us just give the pillows a punch and pull that table nearer oh that's right just pull that blind up i can't see the sea the room had changed its character within the last week it was a place of silences and noiseless tread and the scent of flowers mingled with the intangible odour of medicine a great fire burnt in the open fireplace and heavy curtains had been hung over the door to prevent draughts harry moved silently about the room flung up the blind to let in the sun propped up the pillows and sat down by the bed you're looking better father he said you'll soon be up again oh the devil i will said sir jeremy no it's not for me i'm here for a month or two and then i'm off i've had my day and a damned good one too what do you think of that girl now harry she's fine what he produced from under the pillow a photograph yellow with age of a dancer jet black hair and black eyes her body balanced on one leg her hands on her hips anonita sandella a devilish fine woman by gad sixty years ago that was and tom buckley and i were in the running he had the money and i had the looks although you wouldn't think it now she liked me until she got tired of me and she died to drink not many like that nowadays he gazed at the photograph whilst his eyes twinkled legs by heaven what legs he chuckled wouldn't do for claire to see that she was shaking my pillows this morning and i was in a deuce of a fright thought the thing would tumble out he lay back on his pillows thinking and harry stared out of the window the end would come in a month or two perhaps sooner and then what would happen he would take his place as head of the family he laughed to himself <laughs> head of the family when claire and garrett and robin all hated him head of the family the sky was grey and the sea flecked with white horses it was shifting colours to-day like a mother-of-pearl shell a great band of dark grey on the horizon and then a soft carpet of green turning to grey again by the shore the grey roofs of the cove crowded down to the edge of the land seeming to lean a little forward as though listening to what the sea had to say the sun breaking mistily through the clouds was a round ball of dull gold 
a line of breakwater far in the distance seemed ever about to advance down the stretch of sea to the shore as though it would hurl itself on the cluster of brown sails in the little bay huddling there for protection head of the house what was the use when the house didn't want him his father was watching him and seemed to have read his thoughts you'll take my place harry he said they won't like it you know it was partly my fault i sent you away and you grew up away and they've always been here i've been wanting you to come back all this time and it wasn't because i was angry that i didn't ask you but it was better for you you don't see it yet you came back thinking they'd welcome you and be glad to see you and you're a bit hurt that they haven't they've been hard to you all of em your boy as well i've known right enough but it cuts both ways you see they can't see your point of view and they're afraid of the open air you're letting in on them you're too soft harry you've shown them that it hurts and they wanted it to hurt give em a stiff back harry give em a stiff back then you'll have em that's like us trojans we're devilish cruel because we're devilish proud if you're kind we hurt but if you do a bit of hurting on your own account we like it i've made a mess of it harry said a hopeless mess of it i've tried everything and it's all failed i'd better back out of it then after a pause robin hates me sir jeremy chuckled oh no he doesn't he's like the rest of him you wanted him to give himself away at once and of course he would not they're trying you and waiting to see what you'll do and robin's just following on you'll be all right only give em a stiff back the whole crowd of em suddenly his wrinkled yellow hand shot out from under the bedclothes and he grasped his sons you're a damned fine chap he said and i'm proud of you only you're a bit of a fool sentimental you know but you'll make more of the place than i've ever done god bless you after which he lay back on his pillows again and was soon asleep harry waited for a bit and then he stole out of the room he told the nurse to take his place and went downstairs it was four o'clock and he was going to tea at the bethel's he had been there pretty frequently during the past week that and the cove were his only courts of welcome he knew that his going there had only aggravated his offences in the eyes of his sister but that he could not help why should they dictate his friends to him the little drawing-room was neat and clean there were some flowers and the chairs and sofa were not littered with books and needlework and strange fragments of feminine garments mrs bethel was gorgeous in a green silk dress and the paint was more obtrusive than ever her eyes were red as though she had been crying and her hair as usual had escaped bounds mary was making tea and smiling up at him shout at father she said he's downstairs in the study browsing he'll come up when he knows you are here harry went to the head of the stairs and called and bethel came rushing up sunday made no difference to his clothes and he wore the gray suit and flannel collar of their first meeting his greeting was as ever boisterous hello trojan that's splendid i was afraid they'd carry you off to that church of yours or you'd have a tea-party or something i'm glad they've spared you no i went this morning harry answered all of us solemnly in the family coach i thought that was enough for one day we used to have a carriage when papa was alive said mrs bethel and we drove to church every sunday 
we were the only people besides the porsons and theirs was only a pony cart well for my part i hate driving said mary it puts you in a bad temper for the sermon let's have tea said bethel i'm as hungry as though i'd listened to fifty parsons and indeed he always was he ate as though he had had no meal for a month at least and he had utterly demolished the tea-cake before he realized that no one else had had any oh i say i'm so sorry he said ruefully mary why didn't you tell me i'll never forgive myself and proceeded to finish the saffron buns all the same said mary we're going to church to-night all of us and if you're very good mr trojan you shall come too harry paused for a moment i shall be delighted he said but where do you go there's a little church called st sinan's you haven't heard of it probably it's past the cove on a hill overlooking the sea it's the most tumble-down old place you ever saw and nobody goes there except a few fishermen but we know the clergyman and like him i like the place too you can listen to the sea if you're bored with a sermon the parson is like one of the prophets said bethel too strong for the pendragon point of view it's a place of ruins trojan and the congregation are like a crowd of ancient britons but you'll like it mrs bethel was unwontedly quiet it was obvious that she was in distress mary too seemed to speak at random and there was an air of constraint in the room when they set off for church the grey sky had changed to blue the sun had just set and little pink clouds like fairy cushions hung round the moon as they passed out of the town through the crooked path down to the cove harry had again that strong sense of cornwall that came to him sometimes so suddenly so strangely that it was almost mysterious for it seemed to have no immediate cause no absolute relation to surrounding sights or sounds perhaps to-night it was in the misty half-light of the shining moon and the dying sun the curious stillness of the air so that the sounds and cries of the town came distinctly on the wind the scent of some wild flowers the faint smell of the chrysanthemums that mary was wearing at her breast by jove it's cornwall he said drawing a deep breath he was walking a little ahead with mary and he turned to her as she spoke she was walking with her head bent and did not seem to hear him what's up he said uh, nothing she answered trying to smile but there is he insisted i'm not blind i've bored you with my worries you might honour me with yours there isn't anything really one's foolish to mind and indeed it's not for myself that i care but it's mother what have they done they don't like us none of them do i don't know why they should we aren't perhaps very likable but it is cruel of them to show it mother you see likes meeting people we had it in london friends i mean lots of them and then when we came here we had none we have never had any from the beginning we tried perhaps a little too hard to have some we gave little parties and they failed and then people began to think us peculiar and if they once do that here you're done for perhaps we didn't see it quite soon enough and we went on trying and then they began to snub us snub you yes you know the kind of thing you saw that first day we met you and it hurts yes for mother 
she still tries she doesn't see that it's no good and each time that she goes and calls something happens and she comes back like she did to-day i don't suppose they mean to be unkind it is only that we are you see peculiar and that doesn't do here father wears funny clothes and never sees any one and so they think there must be something wrong it's a shame he said indignantly no she answered it isn't really it's one's own fault only sometimes i hate it all why couldn't we have stayed in london we had friends there and father's clothes didn't matter here such little things make such a big difference which was harry reflected a complete epitome of the life of pendragon i'm not whining she went on we all have things that we don't like but when you're without a friend not quite he said you must count me he stopped for a moment you will count me won't you you realize what you're doing she said you are entering into alliance with outcasts you forget he answered that i also am an outcast we can at least be outcasts together it is good of you she said gravely i am selfish enough to accept it if i only was really worth anything i would never let you see us again it means ostracism we will fight them he answered gaily we will storm the camp but in his heart he knew that their stronghold with the flutes as the heart of the defence would be hard to overcome they climbed up the hill to the little church with the sea roaring at their feet a strong wind was blowing and for a moment at a steep turn of the hill she laid her hand on his arm at the touch his heart beat furiously in that moment he knew that he loved her that he had loved her from the first moment that he had seen her and he passed on into the church it was as bethel had said almost in ruins the little nave was complete but ivy clambered in the aisles and birds had built their nests in the pillars three misty candles flickered on the altar and some lights burnt over the pulpit but there were strange half-lights and shadows so that it seemed a place of ghosts through the open door the night air blew bringing with it the beating of the sea and the breath of grass and flowers the congregation was scanty some fishermen and their wives two or three old women and a baby that made no sound but listened wonderingly with its fingers in its mouth the clergyman was a tall man with a long white beard and he did everything even playing the little wheezy harmonium his sermon was short and simple but was listened to with rapt attention there was something strangely intense about it all and the hymns were sung with an eagerness that harry had never heard elsewhere this was a contrast with the church of the morning just as the cove was a contrast with pendragon the parting of the ways seemed to face harry at every moment of his day his choice was being urgently demanded and he had no longer any hesitation newsom was there and he spoke to him for a moment on coming out you'll be lonely up along he said you belong to us they all four walked back together how do you like our ancient britons said bethel it was wonderful said harry thank you for taking me they were all very silent but when they parted at the turning of the road bethel laughed now you are one of us trojan we have claimed you as he shook mary's hand he whispered this has been a great evening for me i was wrong to grumble to you she answered you have worries enough of your own i release you from your pledge 
i will not be released he said that night claire trojan before going to bed went into garrett's room he was working at his book and as usual hinted that to take such advantage of his good nature by her interruption was unfair i suppose to-morrow morning wouldn't do instead claire it's a bit late no it wouldn't i want you to listen to me it's important well he seated himself in the most comfortable chair and sighed don't be too long she was excited and stood over him as though she would force him to be interested it's too much garrett it's got to stop what harry someone must speak to him garrett smiled that of course will be you claire you always do but if it's my permission that you want you may have it and welcome but we've discussed all this before what's the new turn of affairs no i want more than your permission we must take some measures together it's no good unless we act at once miss ponsonby told me this afternoon it has become common talk the things he does i mean she did not want to say anything but i made her he goes down continually to some low public-house in the cove he is with those bethels all day and will see nothing of any of the decent people in the place he is becoming a common byword it is a pity carrot said that he cannot choose his friends better he must something must be done it is not for ourselves only though of course that counts but it is the house our name they laugh at him and so at all of us besides there's robin garrett looked at his sister curiously he had never seen her so excited before but she found it no laughing matter miss ponsonby would not have spoken unless matters had gone pretty far the cove the bethels robin's father for after all it was for robin that she cared she felt that she was fighting his battles and so subtly concealed from herself that she was in reality fighting her own she was in a state of miserable uncertainty she was not sure of her father she was not sure of robin scarcely sure of garrett everything threatened disaster what will you do garrett had no desire that the responsibility should be shifted in his direction he feared responsibility as the rock on which the ship of his carefully preserved proprieties might come to wreck do why speak it must be done think of him during the whole time that he's been here not only to pendragon but to us he has made no attempt whatever to fit in with our ways or thoughts he has shown no desire to understand any of us and now he must be pulled up for his own sake as well as ours but garrett offered her little assistance he had no proposals to offer and was barren of all definite efforts he hated definite lines of any kind but he promised to fall in with her plans i will come down to breakfast she said and will speak to him afterwards garrett nodded wearily and went back to his work on the next morning the crisis came breakfast was a silent meal at all times harry had learnt to avoid the cheerful familiarity of his first morning it would not do but the heavy solemnity of the massive silver teapot the ham and cold game on the sideboard the racks of toast that were so needlessly numerous drove him into himself and like his brother and son he disappeared behind folds of newspaper until the meal was over claire frequently came down to breakfast and therefore he saw nothing unusual in her appearance the meal was quite silent claire had her letters 
and he was about to rise and leave the room when she spoke wait a minute harry i want to say something no robin don't go what i'm going to say concerns us all garrett remained behind his newspaper which showed that he had received previous warning robin looked up in surprise and then quickly at his father who had moved to the fireplace about me claire he tried to speak calmly but his voice shook a little he saw that it was a premeditated attack but he wished that robin hadn't been there he was on the whole glad that the moment had come the last week had been almost unbearable and the situation was bound to arrive at a crisis well here it was but he wished that robin were not there as he looked at the boy for a moment his face was white and his breath came sharply he had never loved him quite so passionately as at that moment when he seemed about to lose him claire had chosen her time and her audience well and suddenly he felt that he hated her he was immediately calm and awaited her attack almost nonchalantly his hand resting on the mantelpiece his legs crossed claire was still sitting at the table her face half turned to harry her glance resting on robin she tapped the table with her letters but otherwise gave no sign of agitation yes about you harry it is only that i think we have reason almost a right to expect that you should yield a little more thoroughly to our wishes both garrett this with emphasis and myself are sure that your failing to do so is only due to a misconception on your part and it is because we are sure that you have only to realize them to give way a little to them that i uh, we are speaking i certainly had not realized that i had failed in deference to your wishes claire no and not failed and it is absurd to talk of deference it is only that i feel what we all feel this with another glance at robin that it is naturally impossible for you to realize exactly what are the things required of us here things that would in new zealand have been of no importance at all such as well you must remember that we have as it were the eyes of all the town upon us we occupy a position of some importance and we are definitely expected to maintain that position without lack of dignity won't you come to the point claire it is a little hard to see oh things are obvious enough surely harry you must see for yourself people were ready to give you a warm welcome when you returned i uh, we all of us were only too glad but you repulsed us all why on the very day after your arrival you were extremely i am sorry but there is no other word discourteous to the miss ponsonby's you have made your friends almost entirely amongst the fisher class a strange thing surely for a trojan to do and you now i believe spend your evenings frequently in a low public-house resorted to by such persons at any rate you have spent them neither here nor at the club the two obvious places i am only mentioning these things because i think that you may not have seen that such matters trivial as they may seem to you reflect discredit not only on yourself but also indirectly on all of us you forget claire that i have many old friends down at the cove they were there when i was a boy the people in pendragon have changed uh, very largely almost entirely there is scarcely any one whom i knew twenty years ago 
it is i should have thought quite natural that i should go see my old friends again after so long an absence he was trying to speak quietly and calmly his heart was beating furiously but he knew that if he once lost control he would lose too his position but as he watched them and saw their cold unmoved attitude his anger rose he had to keep it down with both hands clenched it was only by remembering robin that the effort was successful natural to go and see them on your return of course but to return to go continually no i cannot help feeling harry that you have been a little selfish that you have scarcely seen our side of the question things have changed in the last twenty years changed enormously we have seen them studied them and i think understood them you come back and face them without any preparation surely you cannot expect to understand them quite as we do this seems to me i must confess claire a great deal of concern about a very little matter surely i am not a person of such importance that a few visits to the cove can ruin us socially ah that is what you don't understand little things matter here people watch and are i am afraid only too ready to fasten on matters that do not concern them besides it is not only the cove there are other things there are for instance the bethels at the name robin started he liked mary bethel had liked her very much indeed but he had known that his aunt disapproved of them and had been careful to disguise his meetings but the instant thought in his mind concerned the feverels if the bethels were impossible socially what about dahlia and her mother what would his aunt say if she knew of that little affair and the question which had attacked him acutely during the last week in various forms hurt him now like a knife he watched his father curiously he did not look as if he cared very greatly of course aunt claire was perfectly right he had been selfishly indifferent had cared nothing for their feelings randall had shown plainly enough how impossible he was indeed the shadow of randall lurked in the room in a manner that would have pleased that young gentleman intensely had he known it claire had it continually before her urging her advising her commanding her at the mention of the bethels harry looked up sharply i think we had better leave them out of the discussion his voice trembled a little why are they so much to you they have however a good deal to do with my argument do you think it was wise to neglect the whole of pendragon for the society of the bethels people of whom one is an idler and loafer and the other a lunatic claire was becoming excited you forget claire that i first met them in your drawing-room they were there entirely against my will i showed them that quite distinctly at the time they will not come again that may be but they are as you have said my friends i cannot therefore hear them insulted they must be left out of the discussion on any other matter he could have heard her quietly but the bethels she must leave alone he could see mary as he spoke turning on the hill and laying her hand on his arm her hair blew in the wind and the light in her eyes shone under the moon he had for a moment forgotten robin at any rate i have made my meaning clear we wish you out of regard for us if for no other reason to be a little more careful both of your company and of your statements 
it is hard for you to see the position quite as we do i know but i cannot say that you have made any attempt whatsoever to see it with our eyes it seems useless to appeal to you on behalf of the house but that too is worth some consideration we have been here for many hundreds of years we should continue in the paths that our ancestors have marked out i am only saying what you yourself feel garrett absolutely garrett looked up from his paper i think you must see harry that we are quite justified in our demands claire has put it quite plainly quite said harry and you robin i think that aunt claire is perfectly right answered robin coldly harry's face was very white he spoke rapidly and his hand gripped the marble of the mantelpiece he did not want them to see that his legs were trembling yes i am glad to know exactly where we stand it is better for all of us i might have taken it submissively claire had you left out your last count against me that was unworthy of you but haven't you perhaps seen just a little too completely your own point of view and omitted mine i came back a stranger i was ready to do anything to win your regard i was perhaps a little foolishly sentimental about it but i am a very easy person to understand it could not have been very difficult i imagined foolishly that things would be quite easy that there would be no complications i soon found that i had made a mistake you have taught me more during the last fortnight than i had ever learnt in all my twenty years abroad i have learnt that to expect affection from your own relations even from your son is absurd affection is bad form that of course was rather a shock you have had all of you your innings during the last fortnight you have decided with your friends that i am impossible and from that moment you have deliberately cut me you have driven me to find friends of my own and then you have complained to the friends that i have chosen that is completed in a fortnight you have shown me quite plainly your position now i will show you mine you have refused to have anything to do with me for the future the position will be reversed i shall alter in no respect whatever either my friendships or my habits i shall go where i please do what i please see whom i please we shall of course disguise our position from the world i have learnt that disguise is a very important part of one's education our former relations from this moment cease entirely he was speaking apparently calmly but his anger was at white heat all the veiled insults and disappointments of the last fortnight rose before him but above all he saw mary as though he were defending her there in the room he would never forgive them claire was surprised but she did not show it she got up from the table and walked to the door very well harry she said i think you will regret it garrett rose too his hand trembling a little as he folded his newspaper that is i suppose an ultimatum he said it is a piece of insolence that i shall not forget robin was turning to leave the room harry suddenly saw him he had forgotten him he had thought only of mary robin he whispered stepping towards him robin you don't think as they do i agree with my aunt he said and he left the room closing the door quietly behind him harry's defiance had left him for a moment the only thing that he saw clearly in a world that had suddenly grown dark and cold was his son he had forgotten the rest his sister mary pendragon 
it all seemed to matter nothing he had come from new zealand to love his son for nothing else he had an impulse to run after him to seize him and hold him and force him to come back then he remembered his pride stung him he would fight it out to the end he would as his father said show them a stiff back he was very white and for a moment he had to steady himself by the table the silver teapot the ham the racks of toast were all there how strange when the rest of the world had changed he was quite alone now he must remember that he had no son and he too went out closing the door quietly behind him End of chapter 7